We are in the Sermon on the Mount still. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and following. Jesus is still speaking. He's still speaking to his disciples on the mountain. And we move down there to verse 17, chapter 5, Matthew, where Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Apparently by this point in the life of Christ, he has already preached and taught enough And just like the whole Jerusalem establishment came out to the Jordan River Valley to see John the Baptist baptize and preach, a good number of the people from Jerusalem were sent quite early in the Galilean ministry to Christ to check him out, to see what he was saying. Because you see, he was not teaching like the scribes and the Pharisees. He taught with one who had authority. Jesus had no credentials as far as they were concerned. The only thing Jesus knew is what he had learned as a boy and as a young man going to the synagogue weekly and regularly and learning there at the feet of the local rabbis and teachers. He had never been to Jerusalem. He had never studied under Gamaliel. In fact, if you think of it from just a practical standpoint, Jesus couldn't touch the Apostle Paul when it came to formal education. But yet the Lord, as we know, was in the very process of learning the Word of God while and as he was fulfilling it. And his teaching was so different, apparently, and the way he approached the law of God and the way he taught truths concerning the kingdom of God and then backed it up with miraculous works, he already was beginning to draw some attention to himself And one of the charges, several charges brought against Christ, we know in the Gospel of John, it was brought against him very early that he said he would destroy the temple. When in fact, he was talking about his own body. Tear down this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. So there was already this thought out there in the mind of the masses that Jesus came to abolish the Old Testament scriptures as well as the temple and anything else that may have been established in that day. The law and the prophets, as they're referred to here, is the Hebrew scriptures. The Hebrew scriptures are divided according to the law. The first five books are the books of the law, the books of Moses. They form the foundation for the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And then beyond them are the prophets, Even what we think of as historical books are referred to as the former prophets. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, 
These are referred to as the books of the former prophets. The latter prophets are the writing prophets, the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then the minor prophets, the book of the twelve. All twelve of those small books, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they could all be fit into one scroll and only half of Isaiah could be put in one scroll. So that's a little bit of the balance of the Hebrew scriptures. And this is the, the, the book that formed the foundation for everything Israel had. It was the foundation of their government, foundation of their society, foundation of their common law, foundation of their civil code, and obviously the foundation for their religious life. So when Jesus comes and it is suspected that he is out to destroy, or the word also can be loosen, the commandments of God, the writings of the prophets, it can be said that he was out to destroy their culture, their civilization, their entire lifestyle. Pretty serious accusation to make. So Jesus asserts here that he did not come to destroy. But he didn't come just to leave things status quo either. He came to establish, to fulfill, to bring to its full fruition and meaning and power and activity and accomplishment these Hebrew scriptures. And in order to do that, Jesus fulfilled these things in his life, in his person, his life, what he did, his obedience to God's law, his being raised in a strict scriptural standard. The Bible says he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, which is a quotation out of Proverbs 3, which let us know that Jesus was schooled in royal wisdom because that's what the book of Proverbs were. They were the wisdom book of the royal court. He was raised in the teachings of Solomon. He was raised to be a prince. He, he grew up to be a prince of peace in that humble home there in Nazareth where his mother no doubt taught him, his father taught him, as well as his peer group around him, as well as the authorities in the synagogue in Nazareth where he attended. But he not only learned but he also acted, he behaved. And all of his works, entire life from the time he was an infant until the time he was 30 years old and came forward for his ministry was spent in active obedience to the laws of God. Name the commandment, he kept it. He was able to ask later in his life, which of you accuseth me of sin? The answer, of course, is none of you can because I have no sin in my life. He kept it actively. In fact, the final adjudication upon the obedience of Christ was given by his father when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was the affirmation, the approbation that Jesus up until that time had kept the law, and it pleased his father perfectly. And his mindset didn't change because by the end of his ministry, he was able to kneel and pray in the garden and say to the father, 
Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He had told the scribes and Pharisees that he came to do the works of his father. So Jesus was active in his obedience, but he was also passive in his obedience. He surrendered himself as a sacrifice. And so he lived out his entire life in obedience, in subjection, and honor to the Hebrew scriptures. He quoted the scriptures in their entirety. He quoted from Deuteronomy. He quoted from Genesis. He quoted from the Psalms. He quoted from the several prophets. Jesus was a man of the scriptures. He did not come to abolish those scriptures. He came to give full meaning and understanding and to live them out in an earthly life of incarnation and flesh. So when Jesus is speaking here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling the people about himself. He is the fulfillment of these things. Let's take a, just a short walk down the road to Emmaus. You all know the Emmaus Road, a couple of disciples on the day Jesus rose from the dead. That Sunday afternoon, we're walking back home in quite a state of confusion and discouragement to some extent. Jesus falls in alongside of them. They don't recognize him. They don't expect him to be from, alive from the grave anyway. They'd heard a report that he was, but they hadn't seen him and they didn't believe it. I mean, would you believe a report if you were living in first century Palestine and you're walking along a dusty road and they don't even have life-saving equipment back then. There was no way to resuscitate him. They couldn't put him on any kind of machines back then. Somebody comes to you and tells you he's alive. Well, they didn't believe it and they were going back home. Jesus falls in alongside of them. He listens to their story. And then he says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Didn't you understand the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets? If you would have understood the prophets, you would have understood the suffering servant in Isaiah. You would have understood the, the crucifixion ordeal under which Christ had just suffered, it's described in detail in Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And beginning with Moses, that's the law, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a marvelous walk that must have been for the Lord to go through there and show them in detail himself in the scriptures. And then, of course, you know the story that eventually he came in, they broke bread together. He disappeared. They, they run then. They walked out to Emmaus, the little village just a few miles out. They run back to Jerusalem to meet with the other disciples there and listened to what they said when they got there and Jesus met with them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That ought to be our prayer, shouldn't it? That the Lord would open our mind to understand the scriptures. Uh, I, I listen on various recordings and videos off and on all week long on every kind of theological debate you can possibly imagine. In fact, week before last, I 
Two weeks ago, I watched most of the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> As I was watching, I kept thinking, man, I got to get out of here. And then I realized I left the Southern Baptist Convention in 1984, so I was still so emotionally attached. <clears throat> and then I watched the Presbyterian Church in America's General Assembly the next week. And that's just a portion of it. And I have never in my life seen so much debate, discussion, interpretation of Scripture. Jesus gave us the hit of our hermeneutic right there in that Emmaus Road conversation. He interpreted to them the Scriptures, and the Scriptures have to do with Himself. If you're seeing a whole lot of Moses and a whole lot of David and a whole lot of Solomon and a whole lot of the Goliath and a whole lot of other figures in Scripture, and you're not seeing Christ, then you're not reading it with the right eyes. Because when it comes to the Scriptures, Jesus is the subject matter. From Genesis, in the beginning where He was with God and was God, and created all things, and all things were made by Him, all the way through to the very end of the book in Revelation, where He is with His people in the midst of the city, where He stands with those symbols around Him of a tree of life, which goes from the garden to the eschaton, but not before it passes through a tree on Mount Calvary. That's how you interpret the Bible. The best way to think of the life and ministry of Christ in terms of biblical interpretation, I think, is to think primarily in terms of his mediatorial work. That is, the work he did as a mediator between God and man, between God Almighty, the triune God, and humanity. And Jesus' mediatorial work is fleshed out in incredible amount of detail in the Old Testament, and it's called the offices. And in the Old Testament, there were three classic offices. There was the office of prophet, the office of priest, and the office of king. The office of prophet was a mediator between God and man because the prophet brought God's word to mankind and was the one in the middle. The priest, especially the high priest, was a mediator between God and man because he took the work, the salvific work of God, and applied it demonstrably to the people as their high priest. He also was the one who took the prayers of the people and lifted them to God in intercessory work. He was a mediator. He was also a mediator in his work as a prince, a prophet, priest, and prince. As prince, he was God's king, but he established that reign, that realm among God's people, and he was the one ruling over that kingdom. So if you look at those offices, you can sketch through there pretty quickly. If you go back to the law, the law promised in one day, in Deuteronomy 18, that there would come a prophet, a greater prophet than Moses, a greater prophet than 
Isaiah, a greater prophet than Jonah. In fact, Jesus said a greater than Jonah is here. And he used the sign of Jonah being in the belly of the, the fish for all those days, three days, and then he would come out. And that was his, his uh, sign, the sign of Jonah. And it was the only sign he would give them on one occasion. So all this prophetic work works its way all the way through from Moses to that prophet who was to come. And when he came, the write-up on him was like this. God in time past spoke in all kinds of different ways to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by one who is a son. And then it goes to give a sevenfold description of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. 1, 2, and 3. And, and Hebrews uh, gives us the, the whole range of how Jesus brings the word of God to his people. He is that prophet. In fact, the Lord himself on the Mount of Transfiguration told the disciples, this is my beloved son. One more time, an approbation from the Father as the chosen one, the beloved one. This is my beloved son. Hear him. That's why a few weeks ago we looked at the Great Commission. It's all things that I have commanded you. It's the word of Christ as the full and final prophet from God and his mediator work. He's priest. The temple. The priesthood, especially the high priest. And the sacrifice were all types and shadows and teachings concerning the priestly work of Christ. Jesus fulfills that. He is the true temple. In the old temple, they had a place where it was the holy place, and then they had the most holy place, and that was the place where the Shekinah glory of God came to the holy of holies, and it dwelt in the midst of the people. God dwelled with his people in the temple. Now God dwells with his people in the body of Christ, his fleshly body, as well as the body corporate of all of his people. He fulfilled all of that temple teaching. In the temple was the sacrificial uh, rituals and all of those rituals that were there, all one way or another point to the finished final work of Christ. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But he, by one sacrifice, atoned for the sins of his people. He was not only the high priest, he himself was the actual sacrifice. He was that lamb without spot and without blemish who was offered up to God as a substitute for the sins of his people. And the precious blood that was shed by him is their sole atonement. Jesus said on one occasion, a greater than the temple is here, referring to himself. And then not only the prophets and the priests, but the prince. The premier prince in the Old Testament was the seed of David, the son of David, King Solomon, whose very name means peace, shalom, Solomon. Jesus Christ came and fulfilled everything that was expected in that. 
There was a special anointing that was given him, a special promotion that was given him. There was a coronation. There was an enthronement. And all these things are described in the book of Psalms that talk about how Christ becomes king. And he is the true son of David. In fact, Jesus said on one occasion in his ministry, a greater than Solomon is here. So here is the ministry of Christ all through the scriptures, prophet, priest, king. Now, just to mention at the closing, the scribes and the Pharisees were the spiritual leaders of that day. These were the men who knew the scriptures better than anybody. If anybody was going to understand the Bible, it was going to be these men. And yet, you know the story. We can just sketch it for you. Christ had a lot of reproof and a lot of correction and a lot of admonition. In fact, even at times got to where he would just pronounce woes upon these scribes and Pharisees because they had taken the word of God and totally misunderstood it. Jesus would say to them, he said, if you would have believed Moses, you would believe me. For he, that is Moses, wrote of me. Jesus told these scribes and Pharisees on another occasion, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And by the way, you do. They were thinking rightly. Moses had said, I set before you life and death, choose life that you may live. When he gave them the covenant, he said, this covenant is your life and your length of days. So there was eternal life in the scriptures. And search the scriptures and find eternal life, and Jesus told them quite boldly, here's how you need to understand it. These, these scriptures, law and the prophets, these are they that bear witness or testify of me. Jesus had to rebuke these scribes and Pharisees for their outer holiness and their symbolism and their ritualism instead of their inner holiness and godliness. He spent a lot of time correcting them because they had taken the traditions of men, all the stuff that had built up over the centuries with the rabbinic teachings and writings. They had taken the traditions of men and substituted the traditions of men for the very commandments of God. And he pronounced woes upon them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he described the various ways in which they not only misunderstand the scripture. So ask yourself, who is it that is loosening the commandments? Who is it that is abolishing the law and the prophets? Would it not be these scribes and Pharisees? And Jesus pronounces upon them in our text. He said, those that teach the least of these commandments in a wrong way is the least in the kingdom. But those that teach and do them are the greatest in the kingdom. Your, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You ever studied what the scribes and the Pharisees level of perfection was all about? It would put most of us to shame. You've got to have a righteousness that exceeds that. 
a genuine righteousness. Where do you get that righteousness? Well, you get it in Christ. His righteousness is that righteousness that he earned and he obeyed and was given the covenant of life in his life. And that was fulfilled in his resurrection. That's good news on the positive side. But on the negative side, let's think about it for a moment. He also went to the cross and bore our sin. So our unrighteousness, our sin, was imputed to him. And he paid the just penalty for our sin, that is death. And so we have his righteousness and he has taken our sin and paid the penalty. That's the gospel. It's a great exchange. God is the actor in our redemption. He takes our sin and our unrighteousness and our unworthiness and places it upon Christ and he takes Christ's righteousness and gives it to us. And that's taken place in the death where he bore the curse and in the resurrection of Christ where he brought the supreme blessing. 